Up next on Inside the SECA, where did all the workers go? My guest on this episode of Inside the SCCA is a guy who I like to refer to as the Master of Resurrection, Frank Schwartz. Hello, sir. How are you? Fine, thank you. That's uh, I'm going to have to get a T-shirt made with that now. I think you need a T-shirt. I think you need a T-shirt. I call you that because you have been instrumental in helping bring a couple of classes. I think we're bordering on several classes now back from the brink of extinction yeah i don't i don't know if i'd go so far as uh to say that uh we brought them back from the brink of extinction but they were certainly hurting and uh, there didn't seem to be any positive trends so right um past few years i've spent uh, a lot of time and effort to help grow racing and it's kind of occurred to me that maybe i'm helping grow the wrong thing so <laughs> i'm kind of i'm kind of transitioning now to figuring out how I can help grow workers. Right. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. I have an extremely long background as a worker. Uh, Started back in the 1990s, flagging in Atlanta region. And then I moved up north, and at some point in time, I got roped into, I mean, I volunteered to be the flag chief for New York region. And I did that for, gosh, was it four or five years, maybe? I mean, it was that long. But anyway, several years. And um, so, so, and I lamented back in the early 2000s about we were having problems staffing all the corners at Lime Rock. And if you've been to Lime Rock, there aren't that many corners. <laughs> <laughs> and if you go to a place like Road America, there's like twice as many corners. So yeah. I figure if, if we were having problems at Lime Rock, places like Road America would be, would be tough. Now, fast forward to 2022, and I'm no longer standing on corners, but I'm still a volunteer, uh, but I'm now in the announce booth. But I'm there every weekend, and I'm at every flag meeting, and I see the numbers, and, and uh, they are they're difficult. You know, I don't want to even say disappointing, because that kind of means someone did something wrong. But uh, it's a difficult situation in, in most specialties, especially the corner workers, because I think that's the, the most uh, um, people-intense group at the track most weekend. We need the most, yeah. more corner workers than we do in tech or than we do in grid and that kind of stuff. And uh, there are some weekends where a lot of racetracks are had to rethink their staffing, and they're not staffing every corner station. Correct. Uh, some corner stations are being staffed by one person on some tracks. I know we're not supposed to do that, but that is the reality of where where things stand and how do we fix this? And I don't know that there are any easy answers, but we're going to talk about it. So, cool. what what are you see- I'm guessing you're seeing the same trends, right? Yeah, so I kind of come at it from a different point of view, obviously. Um, you know, part of helping grow the classes, I also spend a lot of time talking to people who aren't familiar with how to become a road racer, uh, helping them through the licensing process, schools. Uh, We rent a lot of cars to people at driver schools. And um, we do some coaching too. And, you know, one of the things I talk to people about when they drive a track for the first time after their first session, I uh, 
I put him on the spot. I said, tell me how many corner stations there, there are. And uh, certainly what we've been seeing is people are getting the number wrong because of how many corner stations aren't staffed. Right. So, you know, they didn't see any flag from it. They didn't know that was, you know, should I count it or don't count it if there's nobody there, right? right. So it's, it's not that, you know, they were blind, but uh, the confusion. And uh, um, last fall at Palm Beach, uh, I wanted to go to the track before they closed it. And uh, I ran a sprint race down there, but they had an enduro too. And uh, they literally made an announcement that uh, they couldn't start the endurance race because they were understaffed in the corner station. So right. uh, my partner and I down there, uh, Jim Bucci, who's a longtime uh, flagger and, and volunteer, uh, said, hey, let's go work a corner. So we did. And it, you know, it kind of flipped a switch for me and got me really thinking that, you know, the same kind of stuff that has uh, kind of siphoned away our racers, uh, maybe not the exact same things, but we have the same situation. We've, we've been aging out and losing our, uh, our volunteer staff. And uh, so I made a decision at that point that you know, not that I have any additional bandwidth to do anything else, but um, I need I needed to really start thinking about that. And because uh, uh, I want to race for 10 more years. And, sure. you know, what I see right now is we're not far from canceling races from not having workers. Right. right. I, I believe that's going to happen in the next 10 years. Yeah, I think that that's a potential. I also think there's a potential for having more of a a non a system where workers are sadly um, not necessarily needed in all of the corners. Um, there are some systems out there that are being used that can do some of what a worker does. Uh, it's it's better when there is a worker. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but there are some electronic systems out there that um, that can be utilized to help with the problem. But um, but you know, and 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 what I've seen over the years, and I think we've seen it a lot in the club. You know, we talk you know the graying of the SECA. It's happening in the drivers' ranks. It's happening in the workers' ranks, and and we're not seeing a lot of families in some cases coming to the track because it's expensive. And and families are where the future workers come from. You know, a lot of times the first thing kids can do when they get to the racetrack to actually do something is to help out in timing and scoring or in in some capacity like that. And 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 if the kids don't have enough money to go racing when they get older, they can help out by working. And that's not happening as much anymore. And I don't have any solutions for it. It's just kind of the fact. Yeah, I uh I have, I have a slightly different point of view. Sure. Um, and it kind of comes from, first off, I'm, I'm rather OCD. So I actually have all my receipts from when I started racing in 1988. Wow. So I can go back and look and uh, talk about, uh, I, and I do this on social media quite a bit, has racing gotten more expensive? Now, you can argue Certainly the last six months, we can't really sure, talk sure. about what's happened in the last six months, but let's go back a year. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, back in the 80s, I built a Ford Fiesta and ITC. Um, 
it cost me about $5,000 to build a car. That was, you know, everything that the rules allowed, safety equipment, cage, you know, the donor. Uh, it, the car was about 10 years old at the time, so 1988. It was a 1978 Fiesta. Right. Um, and uh, five grand was enough money at that point in my life where I kind of did a second job uh, to pay for racing. I I bought and sold Fiestas, and, and sure, that's where I got sure. the nickname Fiesta Frank. <laughs> so, um, you know, here it is all these years later, and I've kind of done the same thing with the Mini Cooper now in B-Spec, and surprisingly, it's roughly twice as expensive to build a car. Five grand car back then is a 10 grand car now. Sure. Um, and if I look at the inflation calculator, that's about where it should be. Yeah, yeah. So... I know people are spending more money on racing. So why are they spending more money on racing? Well, you know, I used to go to the track with a tow dolly. I didn't even have an open wheel trailer. Mm -hmm. And we now look at race tracks and the majority of the people have enclosed trailers. That was a real luxury for me back then. Right. And, you know, nobody had an RV. The first person who showed up at a racetrack back then with an RV was, you know, why are the pro guys here? Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, you almost can't find paddock space anymore uh, because of all the RVs, especially at some of the smaller tracks. So, yeah, and it's it's not uncommon to see a toter home. It's not uncommon yeah. to see uh, in an eighteen an eighteen wheeler hauler with you know, and 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 a lot of arrive and drive drivers. A lot has changed over the years in our sport. Yeah. So. So I'm not, um, unfortunately, I'm not going to be one of the people who supports the conversations that racing has gotten more expensive. Uh, I don't believe it has. Certainly, if you want to build, compare an A-sedan car today versus my ITC car back in the late 80s, you're going to see a, a rather significant difference. So cars have gotten faster, and the faster a car goes, the more money you're going to spend. So, so that part's clear. But if I, if I draw a, a, you know, a direct parallel between ITB, ITC in the late 80s and B-Spec and, uh, uh, you know, the, the same IT classes today, um, it's about the same. And what's funny is entry fees by by uh, by inflation have actually gotten less. Right. So, so I kind of come at it a different way. Um, life has gotten more expensive. Yes. So, you know, when I was trying to race in, now obviously I have a family and, and that's part of life, but when I was trying to race back in the late 90s, my apartment in Atlanta was $425 a month, you know, and I was a single guy and that was fine, you know, but, but um, even now, you know, my rents in, in LA, of course, I live in one of the most expensive places in the country, so take that for, you know, for what it is, I'm spending close to $3,000 a month for rent. You know, yep. and and, you know, uh, everything. Uh, and when I was a kid, when you played Little League, you played for th six weeks in the summer and that's it. And now parents who've got kids in sports are doing travel ball and they're yes. having to travel to go to those things. Soccer is a travel sport now. Basketball yep. is a travel sport now. You know, kids and parents are parents of kids are spending, you know, thousands of dollars a year when new sports used to be something you did after school and for a couple of weeks in the summer. So a lot of other things that are important to families are taking money from what could be used for racing. Yeah, I um, 
I'm, I'm going to totally agree with you there. And I'm kind of looking at it from a very similar point of view. Uh, you know, people talk about SCCA, we're losing people to other sanctioning bodies. Um, they're, you know, the sanctioning bodies aren't our competition. Uh, the biggest competition for racing is family. Right. So, you know, I look at how many tracks we go to where there's actually nothing that can be done with small children while they're at the track. Our local track has a small playground, but the majority of the tracks aren't really family friendly. If you're not racing or crewing or directly involved, um, and you, you're, you're not really interested in watching, uh, there's not a lot to do at a lot of tracks especially considering they try to get them away from population centers right. because of the noise complaints. Right. So, you know, this kind of brings me back to the, the worker side of things. And that's why I say, you know, I see similarities. What's keeping people away from racing is how busy their life is and how full their life is. And they want to race, but they have other stuff to do. Right. And I think that's kind of one of the things we're losing workers to as well. And I fall perfectly into that boat. You know, I sold my car about the time when my when Alex was born. And and now that Alex is almost out of high school, my brain's starting to whirl again about, okay, can I get back into a car? You know, my responsibilities are going to be at some in some extent, you know, you never go away as a parent, but but they're going to become less of of what I need to do. And my time's going to change. And hopefully the kid's going to get a job or go to college, (laughs) you know, and and I'll have more time and money to play with things. So I know exactly the cycle that you're referring to. Yeah. And, you know, again, coming back to the worker side of things, you know, it's worse for workers. So um, when I was trying to help uh, the improved touring group kind of revitalize uh, some of that, uh, they're doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, The uh, advisory committee and all the rest of the people there, but you know, I thought I, that's how I got started. So I I hated to see it kind of slowly fade away. Um, I did a lot of research and pulled a lot of uh, entry, uh, and result sheets. And what was interesting was the average regional race driver does about two and a half weekends a year. Okay. So that's kind of interesting, but you know, the average worker back in the day, there aren't as many of them as there are drivers. So, you know, if you have five races in your, your region or your division a year, and the average racer is only finding time to go to half of them. There's half as many workers as there are drivers or less. That means they have to go to all of them. And if they're just as busy as the drivers and we can't get the drivers to show up at the track because of things they have to do, um, then certainly, uh, you know, to me, that's one of the key areas where the, uh, the worker side is. So, you know, the only solution is recruiting new people right and well there's uh, two solutions okay <laughs> that, if that's the if that's your your there's also the 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 paying people solution you know and there, there is but you know to pay them enough for their time for a whole weekend um i know down in florida they pay remember where i said i had a worker corner because they didn't have enough workers right it was in Florida, right? So 
they're paying down there, but they still see the same issues. Yeah. And and they actually had to change their paying. My understanding, I'm not, you know, positive of right. all the facts. Um, they had to change their paying from daily pay to half pay, day pay because of how many workers they have that only work half a day. Hmm. They don't work the full day. So that's interesting. Um, um, yeah. So recruiting. Let's um, let's do this. Um, I think we've laid out the problem pretty well. So so let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, uh, we can talk about the the ideas that you have and I have because I have some as well and how we can do some better recruiting and bring in some more people. We'll do that when we come back on Inside the SCCA. Would you like to hear Inside the SCCA live from the runoffs? We're planning to do nine shows from the runoffs and eight of them will be live. We'll start each race day with breakfast from the runoffs. During lunch, we'll do our version of a halftime show and then we'll end the day with runoffs after dark. If you have a racing-related business, this is a great opportunity to reach your customers or congratulate them on getting to the big show. Maybe wish them luck. And drivers, here's your chance to thank your sponsors. Rates are reasonable. For more info, send an email to RacingWireNetwork, that's all one word, at gmail.com. If you lock in your ads by July 1st, there's a 10% discount, and we'll have that email address again in the show notes. And we're back on Inside the SECA. I'm Brian Belansky. Frank Schwartz is my guest. Uh, he's here talking to us about uh, recruiting some workers. He's done a, a great job helping out some classes, recruit new drivers, and bring cars back that were maybe in retirement. And uh, Frank's got some ideas on how we can help our slowly dwindling, actually probably not so slowly dwindling, worker ranks. Uh, first half, we talked about what uh, what the problem is or what we're seeing is happening. And, uh, and, and Frank said, I've got some recruiting ideas. And I said, perfect time for a break. We're back. So recruiting ideas. Let's, let's get, there's lots of different thoughts on this. Lots of things have been tried around the country. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on how we can try to recruit some more people? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, the only thing that I believe will be successful is the same thing that we've done in some of the classes. And that's a very personal uh, recruiting process. You're not going to do flyers. You're not going to do advertising. You're not going to mention pay. I don't think we're suddenly going to get twice to flaggers because we pay them 50 bucks for the day versus, versus, you know, um, the fact that they do it out of their passion and their love, uh, for the club and for the sport. Um, so, you know, the, the generation today is much more experiential than our generation. So, you know, our generation tends to do things looking for a particular outcome. I race because I want to win. Mm -hmm. um, I think the generation today is more along the lines of, uh, you know, I race because of the great time that I spend with friends and family uh, doing it which is kind of explains the, you know, the success of all the endurance racing uh, that's happening with other sanctioning bodies and the SCCA is trying to get involved in. You know, when I started racing, it was me and three or four friends and they came over to my house and helped me work on my car and they were perfectly happy being crew 
and watching me, you know, go from mid-pack towards the front of the pack. And it took a lot of pride in that, the fact that they worked on my car. Right. Uh, I struggle to get anybody to come over and help me work on my car today. Uh, I do almost everything by myself. And um, one of the reasons is if four or five people want to go racing today, they buy a, a champ car or uh, Lucky Dog or one of the other sanctioning bodies. Um, they buy a car, they put it together, and then they all share the driving. Right. And and there's their definition of success at the end of the weekend. Yeah, they'd like to win. But if the car is running at the end of the weekend, then, you know, that's a party for them. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we should be able to uh, get more uh, people interested. Excuse me. <laughs> Hold on just a second. Sorry about that. That's okay. So uh, we should be able to get more young people involved because working a corner is so experiential. I mean, you know, for a long time it's been said that it's the second greatest seat in the house. Right. So how do we introduce people to that and you know i don't think that you say hey if you're interested come to the track this weekend i think you got to go out and find those people and you gotta you gotta bring them right so cars and coffee is a big thing nowadays i've not seen anybody at a cars and coffee yet recruiting workers yeah i mean you've already got a passionate group of people you you take a race car and uh, you, you take some, you know, very basic information and you walk around and you hit everybody there. Right. It's way better than advertising. And, and I would encourage, because here's the situation, okay? The workers in SECA are working. If you're in a region that does a lot of racing, you're, you're committing five, six, maybe eight or ten weekends a year. They're already oh, yeah. doing all of that work. And I, I think it's we need to put this in the hands of the drivers in the club. To That's go, funny. I was just going to say because that. I, honestly, I, I, I'm going to have I'm going to have 27 days at the racetrack this year that I've spent away from my family. Now, now Alex comes with me. Now, my, my wife doesn't. I'm not going to a cars and coffee. Don't I just yep. don't have it in me. So I think we need to to have the conversation with with folks like you, and and that's why I'm I'm really excited to have you on. I can have a worker come on and talk to me about getting new workers, and we could talk till the but but having a driver come on and understand this is amazing. Um, we need our the people who aren't workers to help us with this, to be able to go to a cars and coffee, um, to be able to talk to your friends at work who might be there's a you know you might know a car guy from work. You know, drag them along, not to be a crew member for you, you know, drag them along with the explicit idea that maybe we could get them to be a worker. Um, uh, Because that's that's the problem is that those of us who are already working are working so much that we don't have the energy at the end of the day to take a free weekend and go find more workers. I, I, I'm, I'm with you 110%. We just had this conversation at Gingerman this past weekend. And, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing uh, is because as a driver, I can't drive if we don't have workers. So uh, I'm going to do whatever I can to help. Uh, we have a group here in Michigan called the Michigan Turn Marshals. I, I, I joined the group last year. Uh, I spend about 
six months just sitting and listening and paying attention to all the correspondence. And and we have a gentleman named Flagger Ed is uh, in charge of it. And just listening to him talk about everything that they've gone through. And while I continue to give advice and, and ideas for the group, we've tried incentives. Um, I've offered up my race cars for at driver school for people who flag uh, as an incentive. And we've tried stuff like that, but you're absolutely right. They're already at their limit. Right. So and if I the drivers are only racing two and a half weekends a year, then I would suggest that, you know, two Saturdays a year, they volunteer and go hit up cars and coffees in their local location and recruit for workers. Cause right. In the future, they're not going to be able to race without them. Well, and I think another thing we have to find a way to do, and, it, and unfortunately it's, there's always this pushback about paying people. Every other organization, every single organization that I know of that's not the SECA pays their workers. Um, but let's take that out of even the equation. We need to find a way to make it not cost anything for workers to come do this. You know, if, if, we, if, you, have to, if you have to spend a lot of your own money to go essentially work. I mean, we're called workers. <laughs> You're paying to work, you know, and I know it's the way it's always been done, but, you know, we have uh, at, at Button Willow, we have what we call Worker Village. You know, it's nice because the club essentially owns the racetrack and they were really forward thinking when it comes to the, to the workers and they put up what is essentially a double wide trailer that's air conditioned, has a little kitchenette, and I think where there's there's 18 bunk beds. And if you are a worker in any of the specialties, you are welcome to the worker village. And it's free of charge. Nobody pays to use it. Uh, there's a refrigerator. It's not stocked. You bring your stuff and put it in there. But, it, but you don't have to pay for a hotel. Now, some people choose to. Uh, some of the workers choose to bring their motorhomes and their trailers. That's fine. But if you didn't want to pay anything... You could come up to Button Willow and work for a race weekend and not have any expenses other than the drive back and forth. Now, we go to Willow Springs. We don't have that. And we have less workers at Willow Springs. I wonder why. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm I'm serious. So, you know, so if we're we're not going to pay anybody, we need to find ways to make it not cost anything or as little as possible. We We make people become members to work we don't cover the cost for that you know i mean so so and and you know there's the barrier to entry the cost to entry is i mean yes there's a weekend membership and you can get weekend membership after weekend membership but we should just make them members you know and 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 i i don't know it's and i know if you work enough weekends you can use the the points to get a free membership right but you have to work a lot of weekends to get that, you know, and you don't start that way. That's not how a new person, they have to pay. You know, it's just tough. It's really tough. Yeah, I, you know, surprise and delight always works, um, no matter what you're doing. I know I've been at, at races before where uh, an ice cream truck come and mm-hmm. give all the, the workers ice cream. Yep. But, uh you know, you can only do so much of that. Um, I, I question, though, um, you know, incentivizing people to do 
what we're asking them to do um, financially. It shouldn't cost them money, I understand. But uh, somebody told me one time, if, uh, if, if money can solve a problem, then it's not really a problem. Right? <laughs> True. So, Unless you uh, don't you have know, the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> right. you know, if, if we magically had the money right now to pay every worker so that nobody spent a dollar out of pocket, uh, I'm sorry, I just don't think that we would have a significant change in the amount of people that we have working. It is an issue. Um, it is a recruiting issue, certainly from the beginning. It's kind of hard to say, hey, come do this. You're going to love it. Oh, by the way, it's going to cost you money. Right. Totally agree with that, right? Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I think the bigger issue is as a club, we talk about the graying of the club. Um, racing is a luxury pastime, uh, right. you know, even right. for the people who are, you know, at the lower end of the economic spectrum uh, who do it. It's, uh, you know, it's it's money that could be spent somewhere else in your, your household budget. But the biggest problem that we have is that our, you know, our club is run by people who have free time. Right. to volunteer. And, you know, that happens as you get older. I couldn't do 20 years ago what I'm doing now. Right. And kids at home and, you know, there was just no way. Right. So we, we do have to find a way to, uh, you know, I don't know how to fix the problems. So my solution is I just need to talk to 10,000 people. Right. Because well, if I can get a small percentage of 10,000, you know, yeah, I've got the yeah. situation resolved. Right. I think there are some prime opportunities to, and again, I, I, I would ask to, or I would hope that we could get some drivers to help because of that time crunch that we talked about. Um, most of our, our areas have track nights in America. Yep. And they're run by the, the, the they're run by national. And we've had this discuss. I had this discussion with the person who runs Track Night um, on a podcast. If if any region sends their people to a Track Night America, they can talk with every single person there. They can talk at the drivers' meeting. They can have a piece of paper to hand out as part of the drivers' packet. You know, the participant packet. They can walk up and down between sessions and say, "Hey, do you know that there's these, these things going on that we can do?" I mean, that's perfect opportunity. Um, so there's that. Here's another idea that I've thrown out there, and again, it takes someone who has the time to go do it. Um, a lot of colleges these days have a Formula SAE program, and those are people who are already enthusiasts, and they're young, and they would love to go spend some time at the racetrack, I bet. They probably don't know that there's an opportunity to come and work. And a lot of those folks, because they're Formula SAE, would be great in tech, <laughs> would be fantastic tech inspectors, you know, and I bet you there'd be people who'd want to do other stuff, you know, um, uh, but it takes us going to one of their meetings and talking it up. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware the uh, data acquisition team under SCCA Tech uh -huh. has been using uh, Formula SAE students as interns in the data yep. side of things. So, yeah, yeah, there yeah. are those are all great ideas. It it just it, it takes people. Really, sorry, it takes people to go and do it. Yeah, it takes people to go and do it. And, you know, if we look at all the people in the country, and then 
those who are automotive enthusiasts and those who want to drag race and who are interested in sports cars and how how do we reach those people you know the the, the the lines about what the SCCA means and how many people in this country doesn't know it exists. You know, I've always looked at it. We've got 50, 60,000 members. That's the biggest shame to me. I'm like, why can't we have a hundred thousand? Yeah. Right. And, and the reason is, you know, local regions are run by volunteers who are busy. It's hard for them to spend time and effort on growing yep. when uh-huh. they're, when their their jobs, their volunteer positions take so much effort just to keep things running, right? Right. The the paperwork, the organization of events, and all of that kind of stuff. So, anyway, I'm just going to put a challenge out there to all the drivers. Um, I'll do something. We'll uh, we'll give a ride away in one of my cars next year to see who can go out and recruit the most number of. Uh, corner workers over the next six months or 12 months we'll We'll have to do some sort of program like that think about it this way there's going to be let's just roughly estimate 700 cars at the runoffs this year yep that's maybe a third or even a quarter of the drivers that are driving in the scca right if every driver found a way every year to recruit one worker we wouldn't have a problem. There'd be no problem. There would be no problem. You know, and even if half of the drivers found a way yeah. every year to, in their mindset, go, I'm going to find one worker and get them hooked on this sport, well, there would be no problem. Yeah. You know, um, and the drivers are driving in the areas who have races. So, you know, it, it's, it's not like that we're talking about regions that, that don't do road racing. You know, these are people who are actively participating and it's in their best interest to do it because we need the workers to go racing. Yeah. And, you know, if if nothing else, you've galvanized me through this podcast this evening that, you know, I kind of knew what I was doing. But, you know, now I've got a focus I didn't have before. You got to stop expecting that our current volunteers who are at their breaking limit are going to fix this problem we as drivers have to help them fix it. Right. And I, I would also put out the the challenge to the workers because here's here's the one thing we can't afford to do as workers. We are mostly on the advancing age <laughs> spectrum, and we're going to try to bring in younger people to do this. And then we have to be finding a way to be accommodating and inviting to a younger demographic when they show up. Because if the drivers are going to go through all of this effort to bring people to us, we need to find a way to be friendly and fun and show the excitement and show the passion and not bitch and complain about how this has been the way it's been for years and have an upbeat attitude. Because frankly, some of us are a bit bitter and jaded after a lot of years. So we got to make sure that when when you're when we got new people, that your flag chiefs and your your grid chiefs and everything know that you're going to pair someone up with a, a worker who's an upbeat person and not that one curmudgeon who we put off on the corner by themselves because nobody wants to work with them. You know, make sure that we work to put an amazing experience for the people as they come in because getting them through the door is the hardest part. 
and it would stink to have them show up and then not be able to retain someone who's come in. So that's my challenge to the people out there who are still working. When we do get new people, do everything you can to be as accommodating and friendly and helpful as you can, because getting them is the hard part. Keeping them is what we need to do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up as a as a point. I've I've run some events now with other sanctioning bodies. So, you know, again, I think as SCCA members, we have a well-oiled machine and you can argue all you want to that we have, you know, warts and problems that we need to resolve. But, you know, I've run enough events with other organizations. We, we are still absolutely the best run uh, sports car racing organization in the country, in my opinion. Uh, even with, uh, you know, the issues that we have. And as a group, I think we're very comfortable in how our events run. Uh, sure, again, I'm not trying to gloss over the fact that we don't all have issues we want to fix sure. and complain about. But, you know, I just use that as an example. I turned 60 last year. I gave myself a birthday present. I decided I was going to do 60 races for my 60th birthday. So, again... You know, the average uh, regional racer is doing two and a half weekends a year. So they're basically doing five races. I did 60 last year. Wow. And I, I traveled all over the country to do it. Um, I have some interesting graphics on the side of my trailer. I have Mini Coopers, which aren't always uh, that, that regionally popular. And uh, I don't remember very often times where I unloaded in a paddock that I've never been to before and anybody came over and talked to me. So you, you would go so, a whole weekend without having someone come up and be welcoming and friendly. Uh, registration is always the most welcoming sure. and friendly, right? But so beyond when I that, go in there, they're like, oh my God, you're from Michigan. You, you drove all the way to Florida or, you know, that. And then I go and I, you know, unload the car and everything else you know maybe somebody will come over and help me put up my canopy when i'm trying to do it by myself or or something along those lines but in general uh you know hey you know i'm joe i'm i'm local where are you from i've never seen you before doesn't really happen that's disappointing. Yet, uh, i did events with other sanctioning bodies and I almost couldn't check the air in my tires between sessions because so many people came to my paddock. Where are you from? Tell us about your car. So there was a there was a completely different level. And, you know, part of it is, I think, the seriousness of the competition that we involved in. Sure. So you want to be at the pointy end. You're going to spend a lot of time focused on your car over the course of a weekend. But, you know, I, I challenge everybody, you spend an hour and 40 minutes on track in a regional race weekend, and you spend 20 hours in the paddock, you know, spend some time, be a little more social, a little more welcoming. I think it, it could really help the club grow. And uh, I'm, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for, for having this conversation. It's nothing I haven't said on social media before. Right. But it's... It's it's clearly and, and I don't think as a group we're unfriendly. I just think we're so focused on ourselves and our agenda for the weekend that we don't realize the people next door who might be struggling or, you know, 
it's their first time there. You know, they yeah. want to be part of the family too. Especially if you're driving in one of the lesser subscribed classes. Correct. You know, you can go in with a spec Miata or a spec racer Ford um, and find your tribe. And I, I imagine that that's a more friendly, you know, type because you've got a bunch of people with the same thing. But in a B-spec, like out here, you and I have had a discussion because I've thought about wanting to put a B-spec car out here, you know, and it's growing a little bit. I think we're getting some better numbers now. But, you yeah. know, it could be a weekend where you're the only one of two maybe B-spec cars out here. And sometimes right. you might even be the only car, you know. And, yeah. and so I can imagine that you're kind of on an island on a weekend like that if someone doesn't make the point to come and be friendly. Yeah, if you if you look at the subscription for the majority of classes in regional race weekends, you know, there's not a lot of classes that can put five cars on track. Right. And when you look at the size of a paddock, you know, maybe two of those guys are friend and they paddock together, but most of them are are strung all over the paddock. It's with B-Spec, it's the key reason that I used to push so hard to have a group picture mm-hmm. uh, at, at every race weekend. Because what was interesting about it is for 45 minutes after the group picture, nobody left where we did the group picture because they all sat there and talked because they're paddocked in different locations. So, you know, it's how they met each other. And uh, certainly as, uh, as, you know, part of what we did to to try and help grow that class. Yeah. Uh, Having everybody on a first name basis was a, uh, target objective of mine from the very beginning. You know, it might be interesting to have regions put together a, a tiny team of people who that's something that they focus on on a weekend. You know, this is a great thing to have spouses be part of, you know, yeah. go and, and, you know, if, because a lot of times spouse, some spouses jump right in, get dirty and, and, and are really involved in the team. Other spouses are there and sometimes they're there a little grudgingly. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and this is another opportunity for, for folks to, to engage and find new friends. And, you know, spouses of racers are fun to talk to, too. And, you know, that's another way to, to kind of do that. So, yeah, there's a I'm lot of show, ideas. I'm, I'm going to show my age here. Welcome wagon. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, that would be a great opportunity. You know, if I look at the metrics, right, you, you're 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 not going to improve unless you can agree on what metrics you want to measure. Uh, you know, we do that in racing as drivers, right? There's a finishing position. That's one metric. There's your lap time. That's another metric. Um, not breaking is another metric in right. terms of finishing races. Uh, you know, but what metrics are the regions using to determine that if they're successful or not, you know, it tends to be around, you know, our, from a finance point of view, uh, I've, I've been in assistant RE role before, and you, you know it's amazing now that we have this local club, and we're struggling to find workers for the events. But really, our our key metric isn't, you know, how many workers are we recruiting or how many members are we recruiting. Our metrics tend to be really focused on, you know, did we lose money or did we make money this year? So yeah. You know, and and I can see a day coming where part of racing, if we really truly think we're going to continue having corner workers on every corner, which I believe is the right thing to do, um, even with electronic assist, I think the best 
system that we're going to come to is a combination of electronic assist and human beings. That's the best system. Uh, Even if we had 100 human beings to do it, I think an electronic assist is a fantastic idea. Um, um, That we're going to come to a day when drivers are going to be required to provide someone to work, whether it be, you know, Working out the schedule so drivers have all of their stuff in one half of the day and and open free the second half of the day so the driver can actually be the worker. Or if the driver brings a brings a crew person and says, your job this weekend is to go work wherever they tell you to work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do like the concept of how trained SCCA workers are. Right. So uh, I, I certainly hope that we find a way to grow the worker base so that we have certified people in corners who've been through a flagging school and all of that kind of stuff. And and one thing that the drivers may or may not know, and I'll put this out there as well, when you're talking to people and and telling them about this cool thing you can come and do, it, it doesn't hurt to put the incentive in there that, you know, all of the workers at every IMSA race, every IndyCar race, and the F1 races in the United States, which we're about to have three of them, they all come from the SCCA. Yeah. You know, and and they don't accept workers who aren't SCCA licensed or don't have a, uh, a sign-off from an SCCA flag chief. Uh, we had Don Drennan on to do our, our flagging 101. And when he had people, when uh, the Miami Grand Prix people were putting together the worker group they had a couple of names on the list who the the flag chief down there who was doing it for formula one didn't recognize they rung up don drennan and said do you know you know bob smith and he bought and don's like yeah good person take him." without that incentive or not without that sign off from the secca that person would not have been able to go to f1 and work that race so yeah. but but that's an, an entry door to go to go to pro races for free, stand on the corners, and be up next to some of the top, highest, most awesome cars in the world. Yeah, again, you know, I've had so much fun working corners. Heck, at the VIR Super Tour this year, I raced. Um, I had cars there that I had clients and I rented. And because I couldn't really work a corner, I went and worked grid. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was such an eye-opening experience to me. I've worked grid many, many years ago, um, but you know, as you get older, you, you you pay attention to things. Suddenly, the number graphics on the side of the car made so much sense to me, and how frustrating it was to grid some of the cars because of the way they they you know did their numbering scheme on the side of the car. So my cars will always have a much better numbering scheme now that I've done that than they would have had before. But it's uh, it's remarkable uh, working the corners. I uh, worked at Nelson Ledges a couple of weeks ago and uh, just seeing a different part of the track. I, I like to do, uh, with the students I coach, I like to do track walks, but, you know, sitting in a corner and watching cars go by over and over and over again, I, I pick stuff up that I didn't pick up during a track walk. Yep. So... Yeah, why the SECA doesn't have a standard number plaque 
that that every single car uses still baffles me. <laughs> it's the easiest thing, and I will tell you that as a person who listens to the radios, because as an announcer, I'm on the radios all the time, the biggest thing I hear is, we can't see the numbers on 26 blue. And I'm like, if it was a white background with a black number, you would never have that call come in. Yeah. <laughs> that should be required. I, you know, all my cars are our cars now, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to go for the uh, I know standard thing, <laughs> but, but you're, you're absolutely correct. There were, uh, we gridded a couple of cars wrong because, you know, three digit numbers, we couldn't tell that it was one sixteen. We gridded them where 16 was yeah. going and, uh, it delayed the start of the session sure. because, uh, it's not a real easy thing at VIR. To take a car from you know grid spot five and move them back to grid spot thirty, right? Uh, you know, in that short period of time that you have between two uh, two track sessions, right? Frank, you know, we've solved nothing, but we've had <laughs> we've talked a good talk and we've come up with some ideas and and you know we can just keep doing what we do and and talking to people and and carrying the torch and and all of that and and I love the fact that a person who is primarily a driver in our club is thinking about how to help us get workers. I commend you for that and uh and I really hope that we can get more drivers on board with this process cuz the workers just are worn out. We just we're just plain worn out. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I, I, I try to go to worker meetings now in the morning as well at the racetrack and just say thank you. Oh, um, that's that means a lot. Right. Um, I, I did that at Gingerman this past weekend. And uh, um, I, I see what they go through now that I've you know started doing more of it and I'll continue to do more of it. But uh, I got I got to really figure out how to get working on the recruiting side yeah. of it. So. Well, and, so and, that's my, and that's my challenge for all the drivers who watch, listen to this podcast. Um, yeah. Let, let's see who can do this the best. And I encourage everyone to show up on Saturday nights at the worker party and just say hi. Even if you come by for 10 minutes, it's, it, yeah, it means a lot. So it, it's, it's the other thing that I've seen at the tracks, you know, the, the, the traffic jam rush to leave the track on Saturday evening. I, you know, I'm just getting old. I don't remember that happening 20 nope. years ago. No. Nope. Yeah, the the problem we had 20 years ago was leaving the track early enough that the the restaurants would still be open to have dinner. Yeah. Because we'd want to stick around and chat and be be social. You know, yeah. that's why I love staying at the racetrack because we get done with our stuff and we put up a bonfire and we all sit around it and and you know exchange war stories and and. I I, I don't have any fancy RVs. Um, every now and then I might rent one uh, to be delivered if I've got family at the track or whatever, but I sleep on an air mattress in the trailer Yeah. and, and even the best tracks where the hotel is 15 minutes away. By the time you consider everything that's involved, it adds an hour or two a day to the, to the routine. And it takes you away from, from being involved in everything that's going on at the yep. track. So, so. I, I do my best to uh, sleep in the trailer at the track, so I'm there in the morning, and I can stay late at night and, and maybe have a drink or two and not worry about it. So before I let you go, the sixty races was it six? Was it thirty weekends, or was did you have multiple races in each race weekend besides the normal two? I'm just so curious because I, I want yeah, to do a whole podcast on this. I didn't realize that you had done that. So I ended up with sixty-one races. Okay. So uh, a couple of things. So. 
whenever they would offer a, uh, a financial break um, uh, where you can run two classes for like one and a half time entry fees, I took advantage of that, provided the, the groupings were right correct uh, to do a B-spec and H production. So how many um, race weekends was it? I don't know. Um, uh, I'm just... Let, let, let's... Let's just look at this year. So I'm I'm going to um, Gingerman, uh, sorry, to Mid-Ohio this, this weekend. I leave tomorrow. Right. And I'm going to pull it up right now and because uh, I have my whole list here in terms of uh, how many times I've, I've, I've gone. I've, I'm 17 weekends so far this year. Wow. This weekend will be 17. That's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. So um, when we get to the off season, when we when we all have more time, let's let's sit down. I want to go through the whole sixty races and and how you accomplished it. I think that's just a fantastic story. So, yeah, it, it's you know there there is a whole nother podcast there because I'm I'm convinced that if the club could figure out their scheduling a little bit, um, you know, a lot of my races are possible because I would drive the truck and trailer to a track and then leave it. Right. Because the next race was close to it. Sure. So I wasn't, you know, what's the Southwest Airlines mentality on how, you know, n- not a hub and spoke. Right, right. So. Yeah, very cool. Yep. December's the only off season. I know, I know. Frank Schwartz, thank you, sir. All right. Thank you for having me. And uh, again, I hope all the uh, workers out there don't don't take offense to a non-worker talking about worker problems but i don't believe any of them will so yeah many of us really care very strongly about this so that's good to hear we can help all right that's going to do it for this week's episode of inside the seca if you like what you're hearing subscribe to the racing wire podcast network so you won't miss any episodes it'd also be great if you'd leave a comment especially a good one follow us on social media media to find out who our next guest is and leave a question on twitter it's racing wire net There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I'm Brian Belansky. Have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. Hi, I'm Dorsey Schrader, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.